Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc you are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called financial ineptitude anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by financial ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the China Shop. We are kicking off the next installment of the optional experience. Penny Lane, Blaine, Macaulay, and I seek to learn from one of the best teachers in Eric Smolinski of ES Invests. Last time we met, it was for Eric to give me some extra one-on-one tutoring, building a portfolio. Uh, Those previous episodes will be linked in the episode description. And as a reminder, there will be a minimally edited version of tonight's conversation posted to YouTube so that everyone can follow along with Eric's screen. Eric, uh, what do we got planned for today? What's on the docket? Oh, yeah. So I want to recap a little bit about what you and I were talking about and then the last time the three of us were together. So I want to start with working through some portfolio deployment concepts as well as talking a little bit about the strategies that you guys are looking at. And then after that, I want to pivot us over to talking about trading earnings with options, because in my opinion, that's probably one of the hands down best applications of options. So I'm actually really enjoying. There we go. So. Blaine was just trying to get her camera back in focus, which was kind of hilarious to watch for anybody that didn't get a chance to see it. It was really good. Um, But yeah, that's pretty much it. Talk about how we can use our portfolios. And then I think we're at a really good period in time to take a look at earnings play since we are like second pretty big weekend. I love it. Uh, It actually ties in with something that I brought for today's discussion too. So that's excellent. Uh, before we dive into that, though, do you guys have anything that you'd like to report on news-wise for your guys' uh, channels and stuff that you got going on? 
Uh, Blaine, you want to go first? Um, so I have a sub stack that I write three times a week. And starting next week, I'm launching a paid portion of the sub stack, which is like 99 cents a day. I basically, it's a accountability group. So like, I just ask for sort of what your goals are before the trading day. And then after the trading day, if you followed them, what you did well, what you wish you would do better goals for tomorrow. It's something I've been doing on Twitter for a long time. People seem to like it and kind of get in the groove with it. So I'm just making it more of a private thing. And um, for your money, I will personally respond to any email or comment that you leave. So it really is kind of like a, just like an accountability buddy. I love accountability buddies. Accountability buddies. Yeah. Uh, Eric, what do you got going on? Not shit. All right. Let's talk about today then. Love it. (laughs) So last time we were talking about kind of how options can fit into our portfolio. There's a handful of ways that I think that they can make a lot of sense. So a quick recap on those. They can give us different directional dispositions. They can apply leverage. You can trade volatility outright, stuff like that. So I want to kind of touch base with you guys and to get the latest from you all on how you are integrating options into your trading. You both Kind of shared well i know blaine you did specifically sent in some of your recent trades and then kyle i don't know if you did in there as well but i'd love to start there and then we can kind of follow the dialogue from that point so recap the question how are you integrating options into your trading all right uh i have been diving into the um ratio diagonals uh been tracking we talked about the one trade that i set up so i've been managing that one as this week went on i actually got to close out one leg of it and i opened up a new leg at i'll probably be closing out at the end of this week but really loving the way that that's working out uh i like the way it feels like being in those trades how little management it actually requires on my part i just got to check it on the daily decide if i want to do something with it the next day and then done go do something else yeah and just a quick recap for those that don't know about the ratio diagonals essentially it's a directional strategy i use it as a speculative play and it allows you to gain leveraged exposure either to upside or downside markets it's you can use the calls to trade to the upside puts to trade to the downside but i i really love that strategy for you so i'm stoked that you're tinkering with it yeah if i was to actually have closed it out at the end of day yes uh, today i think i would have made a 30 percent return on that investment so because of the unknowns, like when I was like thinking about how I wanted to deploy capital in the theoretical 100K portfolio, I think I defaulted on way too low of risk. So I've decided to go back and revamp that. I think that 50% for these types of equity trades, whether it's a cover call or cash secured put type strategy or one of these ratios, then I think that a 50%, as long as it's on an equity index, that uh, that's uh, uh, the type of plays that I would feel more comfortable having more exposure uh, going forward. Yeah, I, I think that that makes sense. And what you went through in terms of, you know, trading the model $100,000 portfolio, which actually going forward, I want to create like a tracker for you guys. Um, yeah. That's actually what I do within my community. We have essentially a continual paper trading challenge that's just ongoing. And oh, okay. one of the very one of the very first things that happens to everybody that first starts in the challenge, it essentially opens up periodically for people to join in. 
because it is a competition for them, um, is almost everybody that is not used to trading a $100,000 account starts off too small. And mm-hmm. it highlights a really important aspect of trading, in my opinion, which is getting used to sizing things as a percentage of your account, not as a dollar amount. And I think that that is foreign to people at the beginning, but then they get used to it. So what you were going through there makes a lot well, of sense. I think a lot of it was actually confusing allocation versus risk. Mm. Where in my mind, if 50% of the portfolio was allocated to a trade, that meant that 50% of it was at risk. But really, I think we're learning as we go through and paper trade these things that that's not really the case. Because of the way we're structuring it, they hold a lot more of their value. Yeah. And there's different ways to think about that as well. You and I kind of talked a little bit about that because, you know, there is the non-negotiable element of value at risk being whatever capital is out, technically speaking, is indeed at risk. And Mm -hmm. if the market somehow collapsed, that risk could be realized. However, what we kind of learn in practical application, you can mitigate most of that risk. So you can have trade management protocols in place that would then really decrease the amount of risk that that position faces. Even if you use something, um, you know, like Black Monday, where there's an over 20% decline in an equity or in an index in a single day, you can still manage that risk. You don't have to wait to close it. So The main point I'm trying to strike here is that it is important for us to recognize that whenever you put money in the market, there is capital at risk. Even if you intend to manage it, there can be overnight gap risk. There can be, you know, global economic collapse risk, stuff like that exists, but you can still manage a lot of that away. Yeah. How about you, Blaine? Um, So I started a month ago, I think it was about a month ago, um, with a $5,000 account. And if you followed me on Twitter, I have just been having daily goals of like $150 a day, $200 a day, $300 a day. And today, um, the account is worth like $7,100, which is a pretty nice, like increase on my initial account size. Um, So I'm feeling pretty good about that. And, you know, that's sort of how I came in here really liking to trade was just getting, taking little pieces out and not staying in very long. I'm still trading the opening range. And I kind of came up with this strategy, Eric, based on, it wasn't even something you said. It was just like when you had your chart up and you were talking about like the overall amount that SPY or SPX or whatever would move in a day, it kind of like a light bulb went off. And I was like, oh, it's like not really that much. And when you're looking at it on a daily chart, it can seem like it's moving a lot, but it, but like, or sorry, when on like a 15 minute chart, it can look like pretty volatile. But when I was looking at it on your chart, I was like, it's actually like such a tiny percentage that it really moves in a day. So my hypothesis that I came up with was regardless of direction, regardless of anything else, it is more likely that that option will move 30 cents higher than where I bought it 
before it will go to zero. And I'm like bought time on the option. So I'm trying to buy like a week or more out. And so it's almost like a game of chicken kind of like this will hit this exact area again, plus or minus 30 cents in the next week or in the next two weeks. And what, so there is some risk. I mean, so I'm spending about $2,000 per play. So that's like half the account, which is like a lot. Um, So eventually like something will happen probably. And I will lose that $2,000. But my bet is that I will win more often than I will lose on this. So I've had three red days and I've never let it go to zero. Um, I've always been able to kind of tell like, this isn't really a trade that I want to be in. So I'll scale out or move the stop up or whatever. And so I've lost like $300 a day or I think maybe I lost more than that, a little bit more than that one day, but still like the trajectory of the entire account is going up in such a nice, like seemingly consistent way in, in a way that I've not, I've not had consistency like this in my trading in a really long time. So that's hmm. where yeah. I am with the trade. It's interesting. Yeah. That's, I, I appreciate the information and there's, a lot of interesting things in there. The first thing that comes to mind is just making sure that we're kind of tracking effectively because like you're saying consistency over the course of a month to me, that's still like a very small sample size. So you're doing right. great. Right. But it's, it's very early. Cause the other thing that I definitely want to hit on in general is that people mistakenly, I think pretty frequently come up with what they consider to be like small dollar amounts but it's actually kind of misleading, right? So even on a $5,000 account, if you want to get a $100 return, that's 2%. So if you're looking to tag 2% daily on an annual basis, it's like 137,000% return. Right. And that, that very much went into this thought. And it was when we were talking about the percentage return and what was feasible on what size account and how much you could do. I was like, if, so I'm trying to make like two and a half to 3% a day right now, which I actually think is a little bit too much. And if you could just take it down to 2%, it's just so, if you can just get out of your own way and follow like this one thing over and over in a computerized way, I, it just feels to me like you really could compound but it again, just feeling. So you're, I totally understand what you're saying about data yeah, and, and like actual numbers. Yeah, exactly. And, and the way I look at this stuff is like, even if it works for a while and then it stops working, whatever happens, who cares, right? Like ride it as long as you can. I think when we have a way to extract edge, it is very important to get as much of edge as you can because it moves. But yeah, the reason why I bring that up is just because that's like a really common thing I see new traders do with small accounts is they'll set like this really seemingly small dollar amount and then they won't realize what the percentage return on that actually is. Because like, again, in this case, 137,000%, I've never seen that done is really what that comes down to. Like, I've never seen that return in a market, even when I look at the best traders of all time. So to me, again, that's not even to say that it's impossible. I am reluctant to use things 
that are impossible unless I know it actually to be impossible. But it does tell me that it's improbable and that there needs to be a commensurate amount of effort to try and make it possible. But yeah. in, in your scenario, as long as it's working, I literally would ride that to the wheels fall off, provided that, you know, you're, you're covering the risk as you say you are. And I mean, even if you look at the performance of the S&P 500 over the past month, for anybody that trades like long strategies, it's down, right? So mm -hmm. the fact that you're still able to extract your edge in a market condition that's moving that way is really good to me. I think that that's very valuable. I'm concerned that once the market starts trending again, this strategy won't work. It is like made for chop because what I want is for SPY to cross the opening range like two or three times. You know, it. the more it crosses that opening range, the more likely I am that and I've put in hard sell orders because my number one problem with options was something would go in my favor and I would be like, I was right. And then I would take off the sell order or I would be like, I can get more or I wouldn't take enough off or like animalistic brain would take over and I would just get like out of control, greedy, like, oh, I've got a good trade on. And then I would ride it from a green trade into a very, very red trade. And I just pinpointed that is like, that is my number one. I can't trust myself not to be greedy. So I've been putting the hard sell order in at the 30% gain and then it hits it. And it, I mean, I just can't, I just can't really be trusted to manage my, <laughs> my own sell or flat, no matter how much I'm like, I'm in a flat. I, I, mean, I used I just, to have similar issues until I started using, um, like specific points, like once I started figuring out like specific points where I know that market makers will target liquidity to look for my exits, where that really started to improve my exits. Um, and that just be like internal sweeps of liquidities where that'd be swing highs and swing lows on the lower timeframes. Uh, and then if those get hit, then I'll challenge runners for like higher timeframes, like on the one hour or four hour. But having like defined exit points, I think really helped me. I think like an important note here is when we're interfacing with a system over a long period of time, it's really important not to artificially kneecap ourselves. So what I mean by that is what I typically refuse to do is if I have a trade that's profitable, I don't just set an arbitrary stop and then get out as soon as it hits that because it can continue to move in your favor. And then you just literally gave up X number of dollars. But what I will do is set a point where as soon as it breaks that threshold of that profit threshold, I refuse to take anything less than that profit threshold. And I do my best to follow that trend, whether it be a trailing stop, whatever the case is. But my, especially for like intraday trades, as soon as it exceeds a threshold, I would set a um, sell stop. And then if it trails up a little bit, I'll move my sell stop up. And then as it trails up, move my sell stop up until eventually we meet. But yeah. yeah, I think, yeah. And I think integrating, as long as you're doing something like that, I love that. But if it's anything other than that, where it's kind of just a artificial stop, you do give up probably more edge than you want to. Because again, like as you get a larger data set, my guess is that amount that you give up would drastically negatively impact the expected return of the strategy. I think... I think that you're right about that. 
I do think that you're right about that. But so to, to you're if I were you, I wouldn't take the stop off. I would just as soon as it exceeds your stop, at that point, you set your stop. And then if it moves up X number of more points, you never remove your stop. This way you don't have to relegate yourself to the, you know, the gambling side of you or that we all have to be very clear. But it's more of just sliding it up instead yeah. of just taking it off in total. And it's just to try to squeeze a little bit more profit out. But to your point, as soon as you get stopped out, we're still stoked, right? We still made our money. Does Thinkorswim let you do, as I know with Sierra charts and like trading futures, you can set your bracket up to where like once a certain profit threshold is hit, mm -hmm. it will automatically move your step in stages. So I can either, I can have it trigger when I hit like, you know, 10 points of profit uh, and then have it trail one for one or every five points or in increments or however you want to set it up like that. If you can do that, then set your bracket up to do that. Then you don't have to interface with it still and you don't have to worry about yourself um, making bad decisions. So today is it was super red day in the market and is my exact all-time favorite type of day to trade. I love really, really red days. I love when the whole market's trending in one direction. And I try to like stay in longer just because I was enjoying it. It wasn't really like a greed thing. It was just like, why wouldn't you hold on to this trade if like this is your perfect setup. And I stayed in the trade and I like took a couple different sales and I ended up making about $20 more than I would have if I had just hit a hard, I'm all out at this point. And it took me about an hour and a half more of work. Just like, mm. that's- Is it worth it? Is it worth it? You know, but I did get to like mm. fuck around in the market for an hour, which I- well, I mean, right. I was having the time of my life, right? And I I knew <laughs> that I couldn't possibly lose more money than my goal for the day, which is what we're talking about. But anyway. What I explained to people on that is this is when it's really important to differentiate between raw dollar amounts and percentages, because to your point, right? An extra hour and change for $20, I would argue is not worth it. But as soon as you look further down the line and that's one of the things i think people sometimes lose track of is that we're building a skill set that we can then scale and deploy for literally decades so who's to say that when you move from spx into spx or i'm sorry from spy into spx because you're trading so big because your account has grown so much that now that you know 20 dollars difference isn't a two grand difference it still might be a small percentage of your account at that point. Who knows? But that's still too fucking grand. So for an that's hour, why, which is exactly, yeah, exactly. So that's the way I kind of think about this stuff is that whenever we look at raw dollar amounts or percentages, it has to be taken in context because again, in this case, $20 for an hour and a half, I would say, fuck that. But if it's a skill set that's then replicable as the account size grows, and then instead it's now two grand, I care about that. That's like yeah. usable money still. So yeah, I would just keep that keep that context. I also um, have been my hypothesis this morning was that if we broke below four twenty and like all the indexes were breaking below like key levels that I had, but I was like, if we can mm -hmm. break below 420 and confirm, then there will be a large move down. And I had 
a large size on the line if that happened and was able to put a stop just above that, which is my absolute favorite way to trade is to be like Mm -hmm. slightly oversized with almost zero risk. So like nine times out of 10, that's going to be a dud trade for you and you're not going to lose anything. But the one time it does do exactly what you think, then you're like, have enough on the line that it matters, Mm -hmm. I guess. Anyway, I, um, when I used to trade with, or I still trade with PAX, but my, two of my mentors, PAX and Anthony, we would talk about that a lot about just being like heavy in a trade that is, that has like gravity to it that will go down or, uh, presumably. Yeah. So the concept there, and it's a really good concept. It's kind of like an asymmetric return potential. So I, this is the same thing I was talking about in that volatility trade that I put on a little while ago, where as soon as I saw VIX dip below 13, I started scaling into a trade because it looked very appealing to me relative to where I saw potential downside versus upside potential. To your point, the trade can still lose money. However, I view that the risk is grossly outweighed by potential reward. So looking for those kinds of trades is really, really important. So yeah, I think that your mentors and you are focusing on the exact right thing in those circumstances. It's just important also to remember there that those tend to be less frequent, right? They're opportunistic style trades. Sometimes you'll get your setup, sometimes you won't, but once you see it, you know, it's time to move. So that's really awesome that you're able to see it and then execute on it without getting hung up. That's awesome. Big fan. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is to just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com and that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. All right. We have anything else for trades or portfolio? Or should we move on and talk about some options stuff? Or uh, I'm sorry, uh, earnings stuff. I think we should switch to earnings. So for those that don't know, trading earnings is probably one of the premier aspects to trading options, in my opinion. So I'm sharing my screen now. You don't really need to see it to follow along. I just think it helps a little bit to kind of keep track of the the dialogue here, but there's a couple of reasons why trading earnings is so important. And don't worry, I'm not going to review all of these with you and put you all to sleep. I do encourage you to take a look at these studies. So for those that are just listening in, I'm pulling up just a bunch of different studies. These are a little more recent, so I consider them to be a bit more relevant on how options and how markets behave around earnings. So I'll flash through these for those that are interested, again, in checking them out on your own time. But really what this is elucidating are two things. The first thing is that we know options increase implied volatility 
starting from about a week out in time from an earnings report. This is ceteris paribus, which means everything else remaining the same, which means that's not what fucking happens in markets. Nothing ever remains the same. But it is important to note that there is this mechanism happening in the background otherwise, where implied volatility is steadily beginning to increase about a week out from an earnings release. Then we have the earnings release itself, and there tends to be a rapid contraction in implied volatility post earnings release. Those are the effects that options traders are typically attempting to trade. Now, you'll notice one of the things in here, though, is post-earnings post announcement drift, also known as PEED. There are a lot of updated studies on PEED. It used to be kind of like a slam dunk home run style of trade. And really, this is where there is an outsized beat to the upside, there are very specific criteria that have to be met in order for P to exist. And essentially, it forecasts positively the next quarter returns in the equity itself. So the reason why I bring that up is because that's just another thing you can add to your toolkit if you see those kinds of movements. It is important to note, though, that when you're looking at large cap stocks with big market caps, it is less effective now. So this typically is going to apply to your smaller products as of now. It used to apply more broadly to everything, but that's not so much the case. So anyways, those are kind of the general theories that we're looking to capitalize. And again, the reason why I show you these studies is because I am just a random fucking dude on the internet. You shouldn't listen to anything I say. But my hope is to show you things that actually study this via peer-reviewed fashion so that you can kind of play along. So, but if you tell me to read the studies, then I shouldn't mm -hmm. do that. Well, you shouldn't trust no. it. Not that oh, you okay, shouldn't okay. do it. You shouldn't <laughs> trust it. And then after you read the studies, you have to make that choice for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but we're in earnings. So when I'm looking at earnings, this calendar that I have pulled up, really all I'm filtering by is weeklies. I want stuff with weekly options. And the reason why that's mm -hmm. the case is things with weekly options tend to have enough liquidity to warrant weekly options. So it's kind of a quick way to find at least some kind of liquidity. And I just wanna show you what this effect looks like. So let's go back to last week. We could look at something like Johnson & Johnson, because I actually just had a trade on in Johnson & Johnson. And if we take a look at the behavior, what I'm pulling up here is an implied volatility chart. And if you'll take a look at the implied volatility, here's when earnings was announced. And this is about two weeks behind where earnings actually came out. Notice the general drift of implied volatility, slightly positive sloping. That's a mm -hmm. tradable event. And then notice what happens after the release, whenever it's announced, that there is a pretty steep contraction in implied volatility. That's the exact phenomenon that we're looking to trade. Really, as an options trader, our goal is if you want to capture the whole cycle, you want to capture the expansion of implied volatility leading into the release and then the crack the contraction of volatility post-release. That's the idea. I tend to focus on the release itself. Sometimes I will trade pre-release positive drift, not always. So I'll take a pause there to see if that makes sense, if there's any questions on kind of this concept writ large, and then we can go from there. Um, since you're kind of already talking about it with the, uh, the lead up to earnings, um, one of the things that really stood out to me when I was watching Microsoft, because I was 
pricing them out and looking at them, I was thinking about putting a paper trade on them for their earnings release to sell an at-the-money straddle uh, and then to close it out uh, basically today. I think this is the 25th we're recording this, uh, which is the day after. Um, one of the things that I noticed, though, I wrote down the price for my paper entry at 2.30, so a half hour before market close, and then 30 minutes later, I saw the price had gone up by almost a dollar. Is that something that typically happens? Does that expansion start to accelerate going into the close like that? Is that a repeatable thing? Sometimes. I wouldn't say it's repeatable in some sort of like giant capacity to be able to forecast it because sometimes you'll see the inverse. Sometimes mm -hmm. if you, because if you're entering that far out, volatility is still rapidly adjusting. So it could have easily gone the other way is really the the summation of it. Okay. So even when you're putting these on, your 30 minutes out is still too, too far away. So that's a long time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. If you're putting, if you're putting them on that late, you're just not that you can't do it then, but you're just inducing a lot of other risk because okay. think of it this way. It's still 30 minutes of open market time price moves in that time frame. Right. So my goal, I'll typically start putting earnings trades on 10 minutes before the close. And I start with the harder things. There are things that have slightly wider markets that I know I'm going to have to fight to get a fill on. And then I work through my list. But this is under the assumption that I'm probably going to have 15 to 20 names that I'm putting on. So it gives me enough time to run through all of them. It's important to note that all of the trades are defined before I go into that 10 minute period. I'm not like researching all of them at that period of time. Because there's a handful right. of things that I want to make sure I take a look at before going into the release. I want to see how it behaved during prior releases. I want to see what the implied move on average was compared to the realized move. This gives me an idea on how effective we've priced volatility previously because you don't know for this one. This one may or may not work, but I'm doing everything I can to at least gain a contextual understanding about movements. Well, that's, I'd actually love to walk through what that analysis looked like on Microsoft, because I think I had actually ended up passing on that one after looking at some of the previous moves that had already happened and judging that versus the premium that I could have received for making that trade. And I judged that the risk to reward, I didn't think was there. Curious if it's, you see the same thing. Uh, yeah, I would love to hear the way you did it because to be honest, I did, I don't have a Microsoft trade on right now because I didn't mm -hmm. like it. Uh, the, well, the main thing was just looking at like you can see the different uh the the stock price i think it's like the week before week after you got there in the top row uh just looking at like the day before to the day after and looking at the price jumps between those and i noticed that there was a high number of those in the past that especially in the recent past that were exceeding the premium that i was receiving uh the next thing i was looking at was how the historical was actually tending to track up after the earnings release and i think that's the opposite of what we want to see so that was another thing that I think uh, scared me out of that trade. Now, since I'd already yeah. done the work, I figured I might as well track it. And I was actually surprised to see that I still could have worked it profitably. But uh, the risk to reward did not look like it was there to me. That highlights a few things. So the first thing that you've just highlighted there is actually a very cool thing, in my opinion, is that even so, for example, I had a trade on today in uh, what was it? T Texaco TXN or Texas Instruments. Mm. TI. Yeah. No, Texas. Yeah. Okay. Texas Instruments. So the position I had on in here was uh it was a strangle that I entered the day before the release yesterday, but I had 140 short puts as part of this trade. Mm -hmm. 
the trade still came down at a profit. So even though this thing gapped down, when essentially straight to my short put strike from where I entered, it still was profitable. And that's because of the overall movement in implied volatility. And it's also because I had enough premium from the call side to help me out. But it highlights what you're talking about, where we can have periods where even though the move can be big, too big for what we want to see, it can still eke out a profit. That's why it's really important when we're looking at these, even if you see a lot of gaps, to your point, it's a red flag. If I see gaps, it tells me I need to collect enough money for the exposure to this gap to make sense. And if you don't collect enough money, then it doesn't make sense. So really when we're looking at the implied versus realized slash, in this case, historical volatility metric, is we want to see the implied volatility contraction to be bigger than the historic volatility expansion. That's what makes uh, this trade money. So when we look at this, the day before leading into the day after, we can look at this one. If we look at implied volatility before the release, it was 26.2%. After the release, it dropped to 23% call it. So there was a very clear three-point drop in implied volatility. Then if mm -hmm. we look at the expansion, it went from 26.73 up to 30. So there's about a four point gain. This is using typically at the money options. So yep. if you're slightly further out of the money, this expansion will be slightly muted, which is exactly why I was able to walk out at a small profit relative to the position size. So when we're looking at this, that's what we want to compare. We wanna look at the movement of implied volatility how that changed and then compare that to the movement in historic volatility and how that changed. Okay. I think that answers my question. Cool. So one other thing to note specifically for this year, I have absolutely found that straddles are performing way better than strangles. So oh, I'm sorry, inverse, inverse, mm -hmm. that strangles are performing better than straddles. And I've essentially switched over to strangles. I typically trade straddles because it gives you a more pure exposure to the implied volatility, but I'm noticing writ large that it's not enough. You're not collecting enough money on the straddles for them to be working. So the reason why I'm using strangles is because it also adds a little bit of a directional disposition to the trade that has been more fruitful. So I offer that out as a personal anecdote for people. Obviously, I track earnings releases on specific names. There's about 150 to 200 names that I trade almost every single cycle. So I track them in depth. So again, it's just my anecdotal information. I typically prefer straddles, but I've found strangles to be far more effective really for the past like 18 months. So I've been leaning more and more into that side. Can you walk me through like one of your trades or just kind of like how you choose the legs for your straddles? Yeah, for sure. Or strangles. So, and I actually just talked about a block of trades in the last newsletter. So my newsletter goes out every week, but it comes out on Sundays. And I recapped a bunch of trades that I had on. So I'll actually grab that because yeah. it, it walks through a handful of examples kind of real time. So... Here is the post, um, and we can take a look at some individual trades. So let's take a look at this Lockheed Martin trade and then this USB trade. So in the Lockheed Martin trade, I entered right before the close. I did the 425, 455 calls. 
the way that I get to this pricing is twofold. First, I look at my historical data. And in this case, I'm looking to see if I can find strikes that still pay enough to get far enough out, right? So that's a super important part of aligning on one of these trades is to get my strikes far enough away from the money. Yeah, so on on USB, I did get in at 69 cents and I was very pleased about that. And there's actually a recent trade in IWM that I'm even more pleased about because the IWM trade, I feel like it was probably like the pinnacle of what I could get in at. It was 166, 69, 69. So four decimals. 6969 and I thought that that was also uh pretty well done. I yeah, do double the fun. Myself. Congratulations. Thank you. I do pat myself on the back for those. I'm pretty proud of that. <laughs> um but when I'm this is kind of the directional side to it is where I'm looking for strikes that are far enough away. Whereas typically I wouldn't do that. Typically I'm just concerned if I can get enough implied volatility that I think it will overwhelm historic volatility. But this is why I've moved to strangles because I have found these to work far more effectively, unfortunately, because I'm not able to play pure volatility in these cases, which is generally my preference. Mm -hmm. So in this case, that's literally how I picked these strikes. I looked at the previous implied versus historic volatility for the movements. I looked at the current implied move. Then I looked at where I could collect enough money while still being outside of that implied move. And then that's where I look to enter. So in this case, awesome. I'm pretty sure it was like a 20, a 20 Delta, something like that. The way that I think about it is anything from like a 10 Delta to a 35 Delta is on the table. I do everything I can to avoid dropping below a 15 Delta because it comes to a point where you're just not collecting enough money for it to be worth the risk. And you can look at a payoff diagram to see if this makes sense, right? So like, if Lockheed Martin was going to move, let's just call it 10 points. You can model this trade, see what it does at a 10 plus or minus 10 point move and look at your P&L at those points. And then you could say, okay, in this case, I'm collecting $4.59, but if it moves 10 points, I'm going to lose four grand. Does that right. make sense? No, it doesn't make sense. So you have to compare that to make sure, you know, that the P&L actually. So, Really, that's what's going on with uh, earnings plays right now. I think that this is a really great time for traders. Even if you don't trade earnings, I think this is probably one of the premier features that you should at the very least track because understanding how options move around earnings is one of the greatest ways to reduce idiosyncratic risk because you can put on a bunch of these positions and they don't really care how the market is moving because it's a binary event. So yeah, that's kind of the idea behind the earnings plays. I, I think I have an idea what homework might be this week. I think you're probably onto it. So <laughs> what, what I would like you guys to do is to track at least one earnings play per week. If you guys are able to include more, that's fine. But I just want to get a sense of you guys modeling in earnings play just one a week. And my disposition is I trade them every day. So again, if you're able to trade it with more frequency, you're going to be better off because the problem is if you only trade one earnings play, who the fuck knows how that one goes. 
But what I can tell you is that in a large data set, implied volatility tends to track higher than realized volatility. That's in a large data set. So that's why I try to put on as many as I can. But I still think being able to at least track one would be good. Um, no, I love that. I'll try to do a few of them. I know I was stocking a few for next week, uh, getting prepared. I had a feeling that that would come in handy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Especially with earnings coming up. Exactly. Because this is a really great time of year because you can still trade your normal stuff in the market writ large, but then whenever an earnings cycle comes up, it's an entire new profit mechanism that's introduced that's, you know, temporary in nature. So you kind of have to take advantage of it while it's there. Speaking right. of a large data set, have you guys seen the movie Jerry and Marge go large? No. Hmm. <laughs> I I really would recommend it. It's a very cute movie about a guy that after looking at a large data set figures out an edge playing the lottery and it's a true story huh. i love that yeah yeah it, it makes a ton of sense and then they yeah. let me guess that they they probably just bought a shit ton of tickets and then it had positive expected value yeah absolutely yeah yeah jerry and lar jerry and marge go large so they'd buy they ended up making like $12 million off this like one little thing that he noticed. He was like a mathematician. He just bought a shit ton of tickets and was able to like win hmm. just by volume. I imagine yeah. they probably I, fixed that loophole by now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the movie is, I, I don't know. It's great. And it's got Rain Wilson in it from The Office. The office. Mm -hmm. oh, All right, is that in the homework too? <laughs> it should be the homework. I don't give a fuck if you watch that movie, but it sounds like a good movie. <laughs> right. uh, do we have anything else in here before I wrap things up? Yes, sir. All right. Then I think that's going to do it. Uh, I say thank you to everybody who stuck around to the end. Thank you to Blaine and Eric for taking part in this awesome collaboration. Be back soon with another eye-opening episode, learning how to trade options. But until then, remember to tip your servers and just say no to drugs, or at least the really bad ones like Oxy and fentanyl. No, if we've actually angered any fentanyl addicts out there, go ahead and leave a comment expressing your rage and take care. This podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It does not constitute financial or investment advice and should not be construed as such. The hosts, guests, and contributors of this podcast are not licensed financial advisors, brokers, or professionals. Any trading or investment decisions made based on the content of this podcast are solely at the listener's discretion and risk. Trading and investing in financial markets carry inherent risks and past performance is not indicative of future results. Listeners should conduct their own research and seek advice from qualified financial professionals before making any financial decisions. The views, opinions, and information shared in this podcast are those of the individual contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of the podcast creators or associated organizations.